Hello and welcome to the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. Wellspring Tabernacle is a Bible-based Trinitarian Christian church in Marble, North Carolina. We seek to impact our community through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and may God bless. Good morning, or good afternoon, rather. I know it's kind of an odd time to start service, but we had had things come up and had things that we needed to get done, and I'm just glad that we're here now. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over to the book of Psalms, chapter 85. Um, But there's an old hymn. I don't know, some of you may be familiar with it. I don't know. Um, But it's... Uh, the title is Revive Us Again. And for those, for those who have never heard it, here's the words. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and now has gone above. We praise Thee, O God, for the Spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. O glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sin, and cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. And our Bible has a whole lot to say about revival. And today, Psalm 85, and today, There's a lot said from pulpits all around this country about revival. And there is an ever prevalent hope of what many call the end times or last days revival that will come shortly before Christ returns. That's what they say. But in the book of Acts, I want us to to get some, some clarity on this here. In the book of Acts, when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, as he, as after the Spirit had fought, had fell, and they all began to speak with other tongues, the Bible says, as the Spirit gave the utterance, Peter stood and said, This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. The last days. Now, and I know that we, we can't fathom in our minds how, you know, 1900 and some odd years is considered the last days of anything, but we have been in these last days since the day of Pentecost. All right, but the Bible said that in the last days, Peter said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Old men shall dream dreams. Young men see visions. Your sons and daughters will prophesy on my servants And my handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit. I don't know about anyone else, but that sounds like revival to me. The spirit of God being poured out on all flesh, that's revival. Old men dreaming dreams, young men seeing visions, sons and daughters prophesying, that sounds like revival. The only problem that we have today, see back then in the book of Acts, they wanted revival. They had to have something to happen because they were under persecution. All right, They were hidden in the upper room for the fear of the Jews. They wanted revival. The difference is today is we've got our prepackaged, you know, 
simple Christianity. We've got we've got this thing all worked out and all lined out. You know, we can tell you how to get saved, how to live your life, and everything will just be fine and dandy. In other words, people do not want revival. Because if we did, and, I, and I'm talking about even churches that pray for revival. We'll get into this more in just a few minutes, all right? But if we wanted revival, we would live like it. Now, if you have your place in Psalm 85, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. The Bible says this, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let not let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this day. We're thankful for the many blessings of life. And God, we pray this morning that you would revive us again here. Lord, I know that we're small in number, but you said in your word that little is much when God is in it, Lord. And I pray, God, now that you would fill me with the Holy Ghost afresh, God, and allow me to preach, Lord, like you never have before. I pray, God, that you would move in this place in Jesus' mighty name. All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief background on this text. All right, Korah was a man in the book of Exodus that was rebellious, and Moses commanded his sons to depart from their father's tent so they wouldn't be destroyed because of his sin. All right, his descendants later on returned, and they became soldiers and doorkeepers and psalmists under David's reign. This psalm was written for them. All right, if you go back up to verse 1, it says that it's for to the chief musician for the sons of Korah. All right. But if you remember a few weeks back, I told y'all that I'd been visited by some Jehovah's Witnesses. Y'all remember that? All right. And they're both very kind, cordial men. And I was and I was astounded by something they told me on that first visit. They were making their rounds in the neighborhood. And I asked them when they got to me, I said, how are y'all received? And they told me that the majority of the time people will run them off, want nothing to do with them because of what they believe. All right. Now, let me be the bearer of some news that I pray to God eats you alive because it's been eating at me ever since they told me that. All right, first of all, how many of us in here claim to know who Jesus is and be born again? Okay, is everybody going to raise their hands? Yeah. Okay, we all claim to be saved. Good. All right, this is going to hurt that much. Good. That much better. All right. Now, how many of you can honestly say that you can do as the Bible does and obey the command of First Peter three fifteen, which says to sanctify the Lord in your hearts and to always be be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks about the hope that is within you. Thank about that just for a few minutes, all right? We believe we have the Word of God. I don't believe I have the Word of God. I know that I have the unadulterated, undefiled, unerred, inspired Word of the living God. I know I do. I don't have to wonder. All right, we know the way of eternal life and we couldn't be, but we couldn't be less bothered to share it with someone. We claim to love our neighbors and yet we have no problem with them dying and going to hell. 
What does this have to do with what I'm preaching about this morning? All right, I'm glad you asked. These Jehovah's Witnesses are out every weekend. They've come to my house for the past seven weeks. Every Saturday morning between 9 and 10 o'clock, those two men will be in my driveway and they'll walk up on my porch and for about 30 minutes, I'll spend time talking with them about the differences between what they believe and what I believe. Slowly but surely, I'm sharing the gospel with these men each and every time they come to my house. All right, but, all right, they've they are out every weekend knocking on doors and sharing their perversion of the gospel, all right, because they believe it. They say that they believe it, all right? They have a twisted, perverted gospel that never has or ever will save anyone, and yet they believe in it so much that they go out and about sharing it with everyone they can. When was the last time anybody in this room went to somebody's house and knocked on their door and asked them if they knew who Jesus was? I'm ashamed of myself this morning, all right? I'm ashamed of my myself for not doing this. I know beyond any doubt that I've got the word of God in my hand, that I know Jesus is my savior. I've got the ability. God has given me the ability to tell someone the gospel in under two minutes. And then that gospel that I know has saved countless millions from an eternal hell. And yet I don't take every opportunity that I can to share that gospel with everyone. I'd like to think that I believe what Paul said in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but this morning in our actions we are more ashamed of Christ than we are of our most heinous and damnable sins. God help us this morning. Are we ashamed of the Lord that redeemed us? God forbid this morning, but yet we have the audacity to stand in church and say Lord sin revival. Alright, let me be clear today. Alright, God is ready, willing, and more than able to send revival anywhere and everywhere. What he's looking looking for is someone, anyone, man or woman, boy or girl, to let revival begin in them. All right, and this goes beyond simply praying for revival. Revival isn't just something we pray for. It isn't something that we can conjure up. Revival is something that we have to strive towards. And when it comes, we have to live in it and engage in it. All right, you think how the, how the, how the early church would have been if the apostles had done church the way we do church. If they had simply attended on Sundays, had a little singing, had a little time of prayer, and a little bit of preaching, and let's be honest, sometimes we don't even have that, alright, but not doing anything after the service ended, the Christian faith would have been just as dead and just as doomed as any other pagan religion of that time. A church that never does anything, a church that is in from the culture that surrounds them. Does that sound familiar? Because it should, alright? Because it's the church that we have in America. A powerless painted up harlot that calls herself the bride of Christ but has no power, no impact and makes no difference in this world. The church in other parts of the world, especially in countries where Christianity is illegal, weeps for us today. They weep over our laziness. They weep over our sin they weep over our pitiful excuses for a walk with God they weep because we claim to love Jesus while sin is celebrated and even embraced in sin churches around the country they weep because the faith we have couldn't move a molehill much less a mountain do you want revival? 
There's a cost for revival. There's a cost for revival. All right, and I know I know that this has been rough as a cob, and I know it sounds mean, but I'm sick and tired of my own laziness in this area, and God's raked me over the coals for weeks about this. I look at my spiritual life, and I am disgusted. I'm just being as transparent as I know how to be this morning, all right? Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I preach every week. I study my Bible, but there's so much more that I could do. There's so much more that each and every one of us could do. And when I recognize how dismal my spiritual life is, I thank God for it. Why do I thank God for it? Because they they say the first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have one. All right, it's seeing that you have a problem. Okay, <clears throat> but I'm more I'm thankful that God, in His mercy, has shown me what I need to do to improve and to do better for Him. And I'm thankful that not only has God given me expectations, but He has filled me. Now listen here. He has filled me with the divine capacity to meet those expectations. All right. If we truly want God to revive us again, we have to be clear on some things. All right. First of all, we have the only message that has ever birthed revival. The message that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again again according to the scriptures and not only that he rose see that was something that me and them Jehovah's Witnesses talked about yesterday All right, they don't believe that it was a bodily resurrection they believe that he arose spiritually All right, they don't believe that it was a physical body and I said oh yes it was friend I said you look when he seen Mary Magdalene in the garden she didn't know who he was because not only was it a physical body but it was a glorified physical body and she looked at him and she said where have you placed my Lord and she and he looked at her and spoke her name and she went up to him saying Rabbi and he said touch me not all right don't touch me because I'm not yet ascended to the Father all right and when he then whenever he went before he ascended when the disciples was gathered in the upper room the Bible says and Thomas being with them it said that Jesus just came and stood in the midst of them he just came walking in they didn't open the door they didn't do nothing he just come in and said here I am boy and Thomas seen him and he looked at Thomas and he said reach hither your finger and touch the nail prints in my hands reach your hand and thrust it into my side Thomas didn't need to touch him Thomas didn't try to Thomas fell at his feet and said my Lord and my God friend we've got the message that'll bring revival if we'll just share it with a lost and dying world all right and then, uh, then the Bible says this. It says we. It says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, we've got power. Yes, oh yes, we've got power. The Bible says now unto him that is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. All right, I'm wish this morning Jesus said that we would. Receive receive power. He talked to his disciples in Acts 1. He said you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost 
Pentecost comes upon you. And I'm telling you, we've backed away from this doctrine so much that now if you mention it, you looked at it strange. You looked at you look at me strangely if you want to. All right, I don't care. Say that I've gone too far. That's fine by me. The God Bible says that God's people will be peculiar. And if that's what it takes to see revival, praise God, let me be peculiar. Let me be the odd man out. But more than ever, in this day and time in which we live, we need a praise God. John told him over there. He said, there's one coming after me, the latch of whose sandal I'm not worthy to lose. But he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And what we need today, church, is a fiery Holy Ghost baptism. All right, and I'm not talking about tongues and about gifts. I'm talking about, bless God, Terry, until you're being endued with power from on high. Weep and cry and wail and read and beg God to send revival. Oh, you show me somebody. You show me a saved individual that's restless and that's not satisfied with their everyday comings and goings in Christianity that wants more of God than they've ever had before and I'll show you somebody that God's going to use and that God's going to fill with His Spirit. Alright, that's somebody that desires to see genuine revival. Do you want revival? Because if we truly want revival, there's some expectations we're going to have to meet. Each and every person that's been saved by the grace of God has been given an assignment and we're to not only embrace the gospel for salvation, but we are to share that gospel with others. God has expectations of us. All right, He not only expects us to live for Him, but He demands it. Why does He demand these things? Because this morning there is a goal set before us. And that goal this morning, brothers and sisters, is to the kingdom of God made manifest in the earth through the preaching of the gospel and power and demonstration of the spirit of God. Uh, we've got it to one of two ways in the church today. We've either got folks that's got a dead gospel. They can tell you about Jesus died and they can tell you that he rose again and they'll tell you you need to be saved but they've got no power and no demonstration. And then on the other side you've got the bunch that's like the church at Corinth. they got a little bit of the spirit of about them and they've carried it too far. They've gone into an excess and they have forgotten the gospel. It takes both this morning. You've got to have Jesus dead, buried, and resurrected for the sins of humanity and the power of the Spirit of God. The greatest achievement of the church of the living God is to see the kingdom of God made known in the world. And we've got it backward today. We believe that if we live, look, talk, and act like the world and hold on to Jesus on Sunday mornings, that we'll see sinners saved. All right, let me let me explain something to y'all. Lost people are not looking for people who are like they are. They're looking for people who are different than them to prove to them that a life beyond being enslaved to sin is possible. The Bible says, come out from among them and be you separate. We don't teach this in the church anymore because we think the way to win the world is to be as much like the world as we possibly can and yet still hang on to our salvation. But I'm going to tell you the world doesn't want you to be like them so that they can become what you are. What they want is for us to demonstrate a kingdom life that is altogether different from the cesspool of iniquity that they're stuck in. They're not trying to find a group of people who have a Sunday spiritual religious band-aid and the rest of the week we live life like we 
don't know who God is. The world is looking for people who really have a touch of God on their life, that have the presence of God in their spirit, and we don't just visit with Him on Sunday. We're not trying to be as worldly as we can be and still be with the people of God. What we're trying to demonstrate is that there's a God who doesn't deserve our leftovers. He deserves our best. There's a kingdom that's not worthy of our scraps. It's worthy of our best. And we want to tell the world that if you want to live a kingdom life, come out of darkness through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has expectations of His church and bless His sweet name. He has given us the means to meet them. (coughs) The Bible says that all of creation groans together eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. The entire world is waiting for God's people to stand up and let the world know, hey, you don't have to go to hell in a handbasket. There's a way out of this mess that we're living in and it's by taking hold of the bloodstained hand of an all-sufficient Savior just like the song said. He said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but hey, look here now. Now what am I doing now? I can see this morning. All right, we want. And that vision, that vision has kept us from perishing. Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Well, today we're right smack dab in the middle of both of those. There ain't no knowledge. There ain't no knowledge of who God is. And there's no vision in the church, friend. That's the problem. All right. God gave us the vision. All right. God, Jesus himself gave us the vision of what a kingdom should look like, of what his kingdom would look like. And what did he do? He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, lay hands on the do all these things but most of all most of all go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost and I know alright I know that one day there'll be no more sickness no more sorrow no more pain but we're not there yet all right, everybody sitting around waiting on God to come back while God's waiting on you to do something before He does. Right now, God is waiting for someone. He's waiting for anyone to lift up their voice like a trumpet, to cry aloud and spare not, to herald with a loud voice to all the world that old Greek battle cry of euangelion, where we get our word evangelism from. All right, where we get our word, and it meant, that word literally means fear not, for we are victorious, friend, if you're saved this morning and you believe that, if you believe that we've got no reason to fear, then why have you not, have you and I not told anyone about it? Why have you and I not told anyone, hey, I can tell you the answer to your problems and it's not through drugs and it's not through doctors and it's not through modern psychology and it's not through self-help groups and it's not through deconstruction. The only thing, the only way out of this mess that we're in is by coming to Jesus this morning. John 1 said, And to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, who were born not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. God is waiting for someone to say, Lord, let revival begin in me. And the question we must ask ourselves is, do we truly want revival? 
Because if we don't want it, and we spurn it, and you hear me, and you hear me well, God will find somebody else that does want it. All right, you want me to tell you how I know that? Because I've got friends that are missionaries in the Middle East and in, and in India and other places in the world. All right, America for so long spurned revival and did not want revival. So you know what God started doing? God, listen to me. You hear me now. You hear me. All right, Christian people are no longer, we're not seeing, we're not dreaming dreams anymore. Alright, so what did God do? God started going to Muslims in dreams and showing them who he was. Amen. Oh, it's well over, well over 50% of Muslims that convert to Christianity do so because Jesus came to them in a dream. Why is Jesus not coming to those who claim to be blood bought? Why is he not visiting us in a dream? Why? Because we've spurned it. We don't want it. We took the, the we took the Holy Ghost and threw him in a cage and said we don't we're just gonna pick you up and let you out every now and then. Every now and then, when somebody starts saying that we need to have revival, well, we'll let this we'll, we'll pick the cage up and show it around for a little while. God help us. But if we don't want it and we spurn it, God will find somebody in the wilderness with a willing spirit and he'll do something greater and more powerful than any Pentecost we've ever seen in the New Testament. So do you want revival? We're on, we're on the cusp of a new year. In just a few hours, 2023 will be gone and 2024 will be here. And my prayer is that I will enter this new year with revival beginning in me. That I'll enter 2024 expecting God to use me as an instrument of revival because I want it. I want it. I want to see my family transform with the power of God. I want to see our church grow beyond anything we could have ever dreamed. I want to see lost sinners saved by the glory of God, by the gospel and the grace of God. I want to see revival become a lifestyle, not just a week's worth of meetings scattered throughout the year. I want to see a people that are so sold out to God that revival is what they walk in and what they live in. You say, well, you can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. I remind you of one named Elisha the Tishbite, son. He walked with God. He took up Elijah's mantle. All right, and he walked with God. And he said, he, he asked Elijah before he left. He said, Elijah asked him, said, what would you have of me when I'm gone? And he said, I want a double portion of your anointing, friend. And he got it. You go and read your Bible. He did double the miracles that Elijah did. We just have to want it. We just have to want it. We need to cry out like David did who said, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. All right, he said, wash me that I may be, wash me that I may be cleansed. Purge me with hyssop. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. But why do I want to see revival? Why do I want to see revival? All right, I don't want to see revival to get any kind of notoriety for myself. I'm nobody and I'm nothing. But if you go back to verse eighty-five to, to verse nine in our text, second half of that verse says that your glory would dwell in the land. Jesus said, "If I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me." Ain't that what he said? Amen. 
So this morning, as we get ready to go into a new year, I want us all to, and if you don't mean it, don't pray it. If you don't want God to use you as an instrument of revival, then don't ask him to. Too many times we've got people that say that say yes, Lord, yes, until God actually gives them the job to do, and then they're like a stubborn mule. They'll go to bucking and hot and won't get won't do anything that God wants them to do. So do not ask Him if you do not want to. But it's kind of like that old song that talks about two coats. It says two coats were before me, an old and a new. And I could have either. What must I do? The old coat was dirty. Friend, I'm tired of living in the old church. I'm tired of living in the old coat. I'm tired of living in an old wine bottle this morning. God, the Bible says you can't put new wine into an old bottle unless the old bottle breaks and the wine runs out. I am sick and tired of living in the same type of church that we've had ever since I was a little kid. Every now and then God would visit places with revival and they'd go for a week or two and they'd see some saved. But it was, but it, but to, revival, let me explain something to y'all about what revival does. Revival, we, we've got it wrong. All right, we think that revival is just a week's worth of get together meetings, you know, where we have a few people come and say that they got born again. No, if revival does not change those people for forevermore, you didn't have revival. You had a get together, you had a meeting, but you didn't have revival, friend. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean. All right, on February the 18th of 2010, as a wretched 20 year old little boy when God saved me he did something in my life that had never been done before and he began to change me and it took him a long time it took him nearly 15 years but I've decided that I'm sick and tired of the same old walk and the same old talk that I've had I've decided that I'm just I'm done with it I look in the mirror and I say alright old buddy me and you's fixing to have a fight because I'm going to crucify this flesh and be an instrument that God can use. I want to see revival. I want to see God move. I want to see Jesus high and lifted up. I want revival to hit not just, I don't, I don't, and I'm not even, I'm not even thinking, all right? I'm not even thinking about Union County or Cherokee County. I'm not even thinking about Blairsville. I'm not thinking about Marble, North Carolina. I'm thinking about, praise God, 296 Emerson Road. That's where I want revival to start. I want revival to start right there in my living room. I want God, the Holy Ghost, to do a work in my life. Whatever the cost might be, I'm like Paul. I'm persuaded that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. If you want revival, God is willing and able to give it. But you have to be willing to go after it. You've got to be willing to want it. Amen. 
We say we want to hear blinded eyes open. We want to see deaf ears unstopped. We want to see God heal. We want to see God save. We want to see God deliver. Friend, that's revival. And you've got to desire revival in yourself first. If we don't have revival within ourselves, we won't have it at all. Amen. Revival has to take place in individuals before it can take place corporately. It's got to stay, and it's got to start at the head. If pastors don't want revival, God's not going to send revival. If they don't, if preachers don't want revival, and I know some churches that don't. I know some churches that's the frozen chosen, and they've not had the spirit move in that place in 40 years, and that's how they like it. They're dead and dying, and they don't want to be revived. I'm not one of those. Amen. Me and dad have been to churches different times where they wasn't 10 or 12 people sitting there. None of them wanted God to move. They sure didn't want visitors showing up, but we did anyways. And they just look at you like a calf starting a new gate wondering what you were doing there. They don't want revival to come to them because guess what? When God does revival, all right, it's different from anything you've ever seen before. It's not just coming together and singing a few songs and having some preaching and people coming to the altar. How do I know that? Because I go back to the greatest revival that has ever hit this country. I go back to the greatest revival that has ever hit this world. I go back to the second chapter of the book of Acts and I read about some people that wanted to see revival. I read about some people that gathered in an upper room and began to pray in one mind and in one accord and then God sent down revival. But But you can look at church history and see how quickly it left. All right. You, I've got a book that, 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 uh, I don't know what the word is. Tracks, I guess what you'd say. I've got a book that tracks, um, outpourings of the Spirit throughout the history of the Christian church. For the first two or three centuries, it was, it was normative. It was normal for the supernatural to take place in the lives of Christians. It was so normal that when, that when people would rise up, when the devil would come in and plant a heretic here and there, all right, that men of God would stand up and say, and say, all right, you say that you've got it right, then prove it. Show us what your bunch can do. Because on my side, the dead are raised. On my side, miracles are taking place. On my side, prophecies being uttered. On my side, we've got people that through the Spirit speak all man of tongues. All right, that's what I've got on my side. Prove it. If you're right, then prove it. And they couldn't do it. Slowly, over time, and there's only, and there's only one reason for it. God didn't withdraw His Spirit from the church. The church withdrew from the Spirit of God. Amen. The church backed away from it and backed off of it. Well, I'm going to pick on Baptists, all right, since I'm, since I'm, I'm half, halfway Baptist anyways. All right, but anyhow, I'll pick on them for a little bit. In the Philadelphia Baptist Confession of 1722, there's three ordinances to the church. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and, all, and, and, a, and a third ordinance... And I have not, I was never told this in any Baptist church growing up. I had to find this out on my own. But that third ordinance 
is titled On the Laying On of Hands. And it says, We believe in the laying on of hands upon baptized believers for a further reception of the Spirit of grace. They believed that for almost a hundred years until the Church of God movement started up in Murphy in the, in the, in the mid-1800s. And then they backed away from it. They moved away from it. Why? Because, and I'll, I'll tell you why. This bunch didn't want revival, and this bunch did. So God met them and granted them revival. Now, we're in a day and time when all of them have become stagnant to a certain extent. And I'm not saying that they're out of the will of God. I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that if they want, if we wanted revival in this nation, there's enough churches in Union County, there's enough churches within a five-mile radius of this house that if we wanted to have revival, we would see it. But we don't want it. So I ask you this morning, do you want revival do you want revival and if you do if you do then be prepared to meet the expectation that God has in place in your life to send revival don't look for it to start in the, don't look for it to start in your church don't look for it to start in your family let it start in you and when it starts in you it'll bleed over into the family and then when the family gets a hold of it it'll bleed over into the church and then when the church gets a hold of it it'll bleed over into the community and when the community gets a hold of it it'll bleed over into the county and on and on and on and on and on I, 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 I sought God's face for what for for the vision for this coming year all right for, for 2024 and I kept on seeing and hearing expect expect I'd see expecting I'd see expectations I thought Christina was pregnant somehow for a minute when I kept on seeing it alright then I remembered no she can't get she can't be pregnant no more alright but I kept on seeing this word expectations and I finally said alright God what are you wanting us to expect God wants us to look forward to and expect things to happen but we've got to meet the conditions for those things to happen. God is more than willing to send revival. He's looking for some people that truly want it. If we go into this new year with that expectation in our hearts and in our spirits, if we go into this year expecting God to move in power and expecting God to send revival, I say amen. But I also say be ready to meet the... We, ex, we have expectations of God to send revival. He has expectations of us to meet the conditions Amen. for revival to be sent. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. And God, we want revival. God, I pray that you'd let it begin in me, God. I pray, Lord, that I would meet the condition for revival to be granted in my home, Lord. God, let it come to my house first and then let it flow from there. 
I pray, God, that you would move in each and every heart that's here, Lord. And as we go into this new year, I pray, guest, that we would go into this new year with high expectations of what you are going to do. But Lord, I pray that we would also strive to meet the expectations you've set for us. God, help us and strengthen us in this endeavor, Lord, and we'll give you praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. If you feel led to do so, please give us a review on the platform of your choice. And if you would like to reach out to us further, please email us at wellspringtabernaclenc at gmail.com. Until next week, may God bless you.